Hello and welcome to Who Books That with Harrison Greenbaum. I am Harrison Greenbaum and we are here every Monday and Wednesday at 7 p.m. EDT or 4 p.m. if you're on the West Coast. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Harrison Comedy. And this show is presented by the International Brotherhood of Magicians, the IBM, the first one. Uh, and if you want to join them, just go to magician.org slash join the IBM slash join. Uh, a quick note of warning, if you haven't already figured it out from the advisory in the corner, but this will be our first adult episode. Uh, there will be no language or content restrictions. Uh, so if you are a child, um, don't don't watch this um, or don't tell anybody that you are. Uh, I'm not supposed to say that, uh, but uh, yeah, so there is a, an advisory. Uh, this is an adults only show. Uh, we are super, super excited, uh, man. Uh, I, I am so unbelievably excited uh, to bring on the guest for this evening. He grew up near Detroit, Michigan, moved to San Francisco. We appeared on the eighth annual Young Comedian Show. He hosted in 1991 the NBC game show Ruckus. He was the author of A Guide to Practical Jokes, Every Trick in the Book. He has more television appearances than any other comic magician in history uh, and was a year-round headliner in Las Vegas from 2001 to 2014. And 2019, last year, he was a star of not one, but two documentaries, the amazing Jonathan documentary on Hulu, and always amazing, the true story of the life, death, and return of amazing Jonathan. Not only is he an incredible comedian and magician, he is also a psychic. Uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but he actually predicted the future, and I have the proof right here. I'm going to roll the tape. Right, and then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning? I want to take my clothes off and run around. This prevents streaking. Who knew that that would be the basis of a presidential policy in regards to our medical uh, approach to COVID-19. I am thrilled to bring him on. Uh, this is so exciting. Make some noise, get excited from your own homes. It's the amazing Jonathan, everybody. Hello. Hey. Yeah, I predicted that one, huh? Yeah, well, it, I, I think a lot of people when they saw that, at least people who are fans of you and of Magic, as soon as uh, Donald Trump started talking about disinfected, they're like, I think somebody beat him to it. You gotta wonder how many kids I've killed over the years. <laughs> just from seeing me do that and going and trying it. Yeah, it's wild that they let you get away with that on television. you think there would be some kind of warning, like this is a professional. Those were simpler times. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. Um, this is uh, your first interview uh, since the pandemic started. I know, obviously, uh, you've had some health issues. How, how, has, how has the quarantine been? It's got to be a crazy time. Well, this, for, for me, it's the same because I, I don't leave, because of my health, I don't leave the house much anyway. I mean, um, I can't drive anymore because I told you what happened. My, my feet are so numb, I can't drive. Um, so I've got what is a hobby car collection that's perfect for me. You know? <laughs> 20 cars, I can't drive any of them. It's just like it's weird. You also have a collection of hearts that work. That seems like a weird one now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I, I'm, I'm here three, three and a half years longer than they said I would be, and uh, I'm starting to think that maybe I'm gonna outlive all of you. <laughs> well, it's amazing that you retired right where every magician was forcibly retired. So that's a uh, perfect timing. Yeah, I, I've been retired for a couple of years now. And what is that like? I mean, you were exactly. a road dog. I mean, we, you know, we're, uh, we both are on the road all the time. That's got to be, uh, it's got to be tough. Yeah, it was all right. I didn't mind it. You know, I mean, even 
it gets old after a while. But I mean, I, I was only working like two weeks out of the out of the month. After Vegas was the dream gig. You know, I could drive to work. The show started at ten. I would leave my house at quarter to ten. <laughs> people would think that I was still in the room, you know, putting the titles up on the screen. I wasn't even left my house. I hadn't even left my house yet. You know, there's there's times I had to take my motorcycle being there in five minutes, you know, from so <laughs> I hope you were friends with all the cops that saw you speeding around. They all know who I am, that's for sure. <laughs> Have you ever had to get out of a ticket? Oh uh, they they do. They all know who I am. Um when I had the drive in movie the indoor drive in movie theater, they used to use it once in a while. I would let the cops come in and watch movies and, and I basically try to get on their good side because of how I live my life and I don't need the hassles, you know. No, so, that's smart. Yeah. The the weirdest like like getting to the gig uh, right in the nick of time. I used to open for Paul Mooney and he was notoriously late. So the show was supposed to start at twelve fifteen. They put me on stage at twelve thirty and then I had to just keep going until he got there. So I would get a light and that meant Paul's in the house. And my record was seventy minutes. Yeah, man, that teaches you a lot how to stretch. I've had yeah. to I used to open up for the Gatlin brothers and Larry was notoriously late because he was in his dressing room doing coke all the time. And I would have to stretch until he was ready, you know, which would be a lot, a lot of time. And I, I would <laughs> I would go through two two or three comics routines. Uh, <laughs> and you you had all your magic stuff. So was there was it just making those bits longer or was there making sure you had a lot of extra stuff to use? It was doing other people's bits, man. When it, sometimes it got to be to the point where it was doing other comics material, I had to done nothing left. So and Larry was busy. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. There was one time I, I looked into the audience, I still hadn't gotten my light, and Paul was just eating a shrimp cocktail very slowly. And I was like, really? Paul's <laughs> I like flop sweating on stage. The audience is all very confused why a white guy is opening for Paul. And I remember just, there was one time I did 70 minutes and then they handed me a napkin and said, we found Paul, he's in Berkeley. I had to wrap the show and they had to refund everybody. He wasn't even in the state. Oh my God. I've, I've never done that. With all the drugs and all the stuff I've done in my life, I've never missed a show because of it. You know, I've always been there on time or not on time, but no longer than 10, 15 minutes late, you know. Uh, but I've never missed a show because of it. What's the secret to that? How do, how do you make that balance work? Uh, I just got brought up with those kind of values, you know, yeah. money, be show up for work on time, stuff that you never would hear of today. But uh, yeah, it, it never stopped me. There was times on stage when I had to get off stage to, to go do something that wake me back up and then come back out on stage. So I actually wrote a bit where <laughs> I put a tape on that teaches the person on stage with me how to do a trick while I'm gone. So I would be backstage. <laughs> Doing what I do, and he'd be following the instructions. You know, I'd come back out, and it all worked out for everybody. Perfect. You know, that's amazing. What a horror show, man! <laughs> Were there different drugs, like in terms of? I feel like there are different drugs for creating material as there would be for like performing the material. Well, I only did one drug back then, and that was coke. You know, I mean, I, but I would write like a fiend on it. You know, I would, I would, my hand would go faster than my mind. You know, I would just be writing pages and pages of material like it was coming from I don't know where you know and I would be in a hotel room by myself just writing volumes and volumes of stuff you know and trying stuff out I remember trying to push a pencil through my cheek and have it come out the other side and uh, I needed stage blood and I didn't have any but I cut my finger really bad on something so I squeezed it into a glass and was drinking this and doing that trick just like drinking my own blood <laughs> up, for, up, for, up for three days, drinking my own blood. 
doing this pencil through and I repetitively did it so much that I had two huge purple bruises on each cheek the next night for the show. I couldn't get rid of, couldn't cover it up. You know, it's just like. Oh, so I'm married to somebody who I think could probably do it. I have this picture. Uh, I think she could pull off the pencil through cheek. That's it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I just had half of a pencil in my mouth, like, like doing that pencil, slide it down, open my mouth, show the pencil, and then do it the opposite out the other side. It looked pretty good if it timed, timed all right, you know? When I, I remember talking to a comic when I was just getting started and he talked about a batting average where when you, you write a bit and then you're not sure if the audience is going to like it. And it's not that you ever get perfect, but your batting average gets better. Do you find that when you, as you went on, when you came up with a bit like that, you would have a better idea, like this is probably going to work and kill it? No, because when I, when I come up with a bit and told people about the bit and they laughed, almost 90% of the times it would not get a laugh. <laughs> if I told them and they thought it was funny, it didn't get a laugh. It's just the stuff that's stupid off the off the hand off the side, you know, like things you come up with on stage or, or just goofy stuff that that they like. Nothing planned out for my show. Nothing rehearsed. Nothing ever rehearsed. <laughs> um, I remember one time I built this Sylvester the Jester, and I built this whole routine with puppets, marionettes, and uh, the gist of it was two clowns fighting over a kid's birthday party with knives and they went at it and the blood would come from the marionettes and it was real involved. And I did it in Australia for the first time. I built a theater and everything for it, a little velvet theater. It didn't get one laugh, not throughout the whole entire thing. And the magnets that I had in the, in the clown's hands would pick the knives up. And even that didn't work. The theory of magnetism didn't even work that night. You know, everything went wrong. And finally, I was back behind the puppet theater with this other person helping me. And I went, this is, this is, we got to get out of here. We got to stop this. We can't go through the whole thing. So I stopped it in the middle and it came out and said, okay, obviously that sucked. And everyone was like, yeah, boo, that sucked. I want to know why it sucked. I put a lot of time and effort. So <laughs> I took, you know, critiques from the audience. I wanted to know why. And I went from group to group saying, why did you think that sucked? I wanted to know why. <laughs> But I will never plan after that. I will, I will never plan anything ever again, you know. I feel like that was always, because we both straddled the two worlds of magic and stand-up. And I always felt like the one thing that the comedians ever understood from our magic side was if they wrote a bit and it didn't work, they could move on. And they just, they, you know, it was a thing in their notebook. But we have to build shit. That's right. That's right. People, people always make fun of prop comics and stuff like that. And I always tell them, come on, like Jesus was a prop comic. You know, German <laughs> on the Mount was talk, talk, talk. It wasn't until he turned something like bread into a fish into bread and wine into water that people shut up and listened, you know. <laughs> so, was Jesus on the cross just trying to get his arm over to be like, ooh, I'm dying with this. <laughs> Biting his nails. <laughs> well, how would you define yourself? Would you define yourself as a magician with comedy, a comedian with I magic? Don't, I, either? Don't, I don't, you know, I really try to let, I let other people define me. That's how I got my whole character down. It's just like letting the press define me, other people define me. I'm going, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of true. That's kind of not true, you know. But I don't really define it. I can do magic and I can do comedy. I can do both, and I can do clean, too, Harrison. Yeah. <laughs> I know all your warnings, and IBM wants me to be clean, but uh, I can be clean. I I don't have to swear. I have a switch. 
Oh no, I feel, I feel you with that. I mean, but do you think that once you do a dirty show, it's hard to convince <laughs> that you can do a clean show? Oh, my wife just spilled a root beer everywhere. <laughs> God damn it! See, you made me swear. <laughs> that's the that's the most uh, innocent thing to spill, though. Root beer is is very wholesome. It is. It is, especially if it's diet A and W root beer. Ooh, I just made a hundred bucks. <laughs> oh. What were we talking about? Sorry. That's okay. Wasn't too distracting. <laughs> oh, we're talking about clean versus dirty. <laughs> That's uh, Anastasia Sim, by the way, for those who are wondering yeah, about I, 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 I get it. It offends me that people are offended by language. Mm. It offends me that people that are adults expect political correctness and language. They expect what they want. You know, and not what the norm is. You know, and, and and I take great delight in the shocking. Towards the end of my career, I, I took great delight in the shocking people and, and being able to, you know, <laughs> the best example was I would leave the guy on stage and I would go back behind the curtain and I would say, okay, I'm going to leave for a second, tell a joke. And I'd go right behind the curtain. I'd feed him the joke. <laughs> I, I would feed him like, oh, I can't. Sammy, oh, why can't Stevie Wonder read? And he would repeat it. Why can't Stevie Wonder read? And I said, because he's black. And there would be this long pause, right? Like, I can't say that. I'm like, say it. I'd get <laughs> make him say it. And the audience can't hear me talking. But say, because, because he's black. And I would come running out going, no, blind, blind. What are you doing? What are you doing? Blame <laughs> it on him. He just derailed the whole show, make him look like the racist, you know, <laughs> just perfect. You know, it was the best joke I could get away. I got away with a lot of shit man. I left a lot of shit. Was there ever a time you thought you went too far or there was nothing off limits? Yeah. yeah there's lots of times. Um, I, I used to throw a butcher knife in between the guy's legs and it would stick in the stage in between his feet. And one time I missed and I went right into his, he had these baby blue snakes, snakeskin boots on and the knife stuck in the boot <laughs> and oh I'm, yeah i'm like tell me that your whole you career flashes before your eyes you see the litigation you count out the money in your bank account yeah this is before i had a bank account so i, I <laughs> after i got a bank account i wouldn't take chances like that ever but uh, <laughs> during the wild times you know when, when i would be not afraid to throw a glass over my head and bust it against a wall you know um but he said i said tell me that's not in your foot and he said, I don't think it's in my foot. And we we looked and we went right between his toes, man. Just damaged it. I just had to buy him a new pair of boots and uh, we gave him a lifetime membership to a club that was open for maybe another year. <laughs> <laughs> but I got lucky, yeah. No, I've done there's been a lot of a lot of stuff that uh, I couldn't I didn't get away with. I crossed the line a few times. But uh for the most part, I've crossed the line more than any other comic got away with it too though. Yeah. I got well. I, I would spit water in people's faces, drink lighter fluid, and spit it out at a lit lighter, and it was only water. But I'd get everybody. You could never do that nowadays. You could never spray water in an audience's face three or four times in a row. It's. Hard. <laughs> I've gotten. I've gotten on top of people more than I thought they would let me. I, I was once. I climbed over the audience for my uh, cell phone bit that I do, and I once knocked over every drink and piece of food on the table, and had to replace an entire like six people's worth of meals. So it made negative money that that. That's getting that's getting in people's space for sure. Yeah, crawling over them. Yeah, I I would 
like getting into someone's making people uncomfortable is, is was comfort to me. You know? <laughs> but, was there uh, was there a balance though? Because I feel like there's always it has to look more chaotic and and in their in your face than it really is. The character carries it. I mean, the character was a mischievous big kid playing on stage, so he got away with shit, you know. And, and it wasn't like I was ha ah, ah, in your face. It was like I was. I was clever about it. I was never doing. Uh, I was clever about it. There's a way, like, like, like the, for instance, Mike, uh, Michael Richards and that whole incident with him on stage and that black guy heckling him and him calling him the n-word, and and you know, there's a way to do things. He could have got away with that if he did it in a funny, clever way, but he just did it in a racist. Right. The key was there was no joke behind it. That was what, if he was trying to make a point, it might have worked, but he was right. just being racist. Well, I told the, the, the audience, the press wanted my, my take on that whole thing when it happened. And I said he was, even though he wasn't funny, he was well within his rights to do what he did. Because if it was a white guy heckling a black comic, you wouldn't heard anything about it. If the guys mm-hmm. called the, the white comic, a, the white heckler a honky or something, who, nothing, you wouldn't heard nothing. And he was ruining this guy's livelihood, and he has no right to be out and stuff out. But uh, so I, they printed that, and, and oh, no. took all kinds of heat from that. I was at the Sahara at the time, and the Sahara said, "We want you to talk to the print a retraction, and, uh, you know, make a statement about what." what, what and I saw so my statement was, "I'll apologize when black people stop talking in movie theaters, Chinese people learn how to drive, and Jews aren't so cheap." That was my that was my <laughs> that was my apology, and nobody wanted to hear another word I had to say after that ever. Nobody, <laughs> never, nobody ever wanted a quote after me. I'm a comic. What are you asking me for? You know, I'll, I'll say something shocking just to shock you. You know, I was doing this show at Monday Night Magic, and in the front row was a very old man with a very young lady, and I I said, "Oh, are you guys? Is that your daughter?" And he said, "No, we're dating." I was like, "Oh, I guess then you're rich." And I just kind of that was the running joke was that he. And then they asked me to send an apology note to her. And I said, I'll send an apology, but it has to be, you have to send exactly what I say. And the note started, I'm sorry if I offended you or your escort. <laughs> and I want to know how much he makes a year. Exactly. If I was wrong or not. Yeah, they were like, I don't think we're going to be sending that apology. And I was like, that's what I figured. Yeah, that's right. It's like Kennison. When they ask Kennison, I, we hear you do heroin. He goes, oh, I love it. I do it as much as I can. What can you say after that? Right, you know? Exactly. You really can't say anything. So, uh, I like I like offending people. Things have really swung the the opposite way to how it used to be with comedy. And comedians hate it now. You know, Seinfeld Seinfeld can't even do colleges because he's not politically politi- politically correct. You know, for God's sake, Seinfeld really. You know, yeah, I, used- I say, has there been anything but like it? Because you've been you were part of the comedy boom in the '80s, and you've seen sort of all the waves. Has there ever, ever been a wave like this? No, never, ever, ever. And and, and there wasn't one where, where when I was playing recently, I, there still wasn't. I never would let that happen to my show. You know, if you don't like that, don't come see my show, you know. And, yeah. and a lot of people didn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> but Did no. you ever get pushback when you were, when you were uh, starting and, and – I imagine there were magicians that did not like the adultness of it or the meta-ness of it, revealing the tricks. Was there a lot of pushback from the magic community? No, there wasn't. And there wasn't a lot of pushback from the comics either. Uh, comics came down on Carrot Top. He took all the heat. To me, to them, I was a parody of a prop comic, which is not true. I was a prop comic. But they thought <laughs> my stuff was 
cool for some reason. I didn't take that heat that Carrot Top takes, you know, for his, he's, he's a great act, you know, but people who haven't seen his act, they surely rag at rag on him all the time, but uh, they never did. I mean, I got lucky that way. Uh, I made that bridge between comedian and magician. Without yeah. And I've, I've never been able to, do you have a, how would you distinguish between a comedian and a magician? Uh, like in my mind, a comedian, uh, like a magician tries to create the power he doesn't have and a comedian just lashes out at the powers that be. But I don't no, know if there's think, a succinct way to do that. I think that uh, the, the, to call yourself a comedian, you better be able to handle anything that happens on stage. Magicians who do comedy can't do that. That's you, true. You can't heckle a magician who does comedy and without screwing up his act. To, to you heckle me and, and you're screwed, you know? You heckle you and you're screwed because you're fast on your feet and so am I. And there's not a lot of people who have that right blend of, of magic and comedy, you know. See, you can do you do more comedy than magic. You you do stand up pure stand up sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I never would do pure stand up. I, I don't I never, and had ever had that desire. I like the props. I love watching magic. I like watching magicians at the castle and imagining what would happen if they screwed up. And <laughs> that's how I basically write my materials by watching other magicians and saying, "What if this happened?" Or, you know, I saw a magician do a card stab once when he couldn't find a card, you know, <laughs> and he's blindfolded and he's then he's stabbing groups of cards. When it was one of these, you kind of have to, this is great. And uh, so I just took that. I just stabbing giant groups of cards. And so, you know, I turned into a whole routine with, with me. You know, I, I get great ideas watching magicians screw up. Right. So it's better to watch the bad magicians than the good ones. Well, every Sunday at the, when I was at the Gold Nugget for a couple of years, Every every week I would have a different magician open for me, and uh, Sunday night, the last final night, was the night that I was allowed to screw with their show. <laughs> and it did it without fail, and a lot of people, a lot of them, didn't want to participate. And I said, "We really don't have a choice. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Just know that it's going to happen." And like like Chris Hart freaking out, you know that that's not my thing, man. You know, and like. <laughs> Chris. I asked a couple of people about it, and uh, is there any stories you'd like to share of how you've messed with oh, some people's back? I mean, it started with Rich Block. You know, uh, Rich used to have this bit where <laughs> a flag would come down, unroll behind him, and he would take two two flags and wave them, and he would get this big applause with this cheesy ending with the American flag. Well, I took the flag down and put a big banner up that said "Child Molester" on it. <laughs> and when it came time to play the national anthem, this thing came rolling down. He's got his two little flags in the audience just, oh, you know, taken aback by it. And he's wondering why he's not getting the response that he does the perfect double take. And that started the war, you know. That started him trying to get me back. He put these little clear fish there. You can't see them. In my Windex bottle. And I was drinking it. I could feel it felt like pieces of tissue going down my throat or Kleenex or something. But they were those these invisible fish. And I held it up to the light. I could see their little skeletons. And I'm like, oh, man. Then he put the bull elk urine in the microphone, unscrewed it, and put some, some inside. Oh I, I didn't smell. I couldn't smell it at all. But he got me a few times really good. But um, Skildini was a good one. And <laughs> you can see them all. I, I recorded them all and, and play. If you go to my podcast, Burn Unit, uh, if you type in burnunit.tv, there's one of the episodes is me playing all those. Chris Hart has this great line during a show after he does something really impressive. He says, any questions? 
you know, like real cocky. Well, I had everybody had questions in the audience for him. Like, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? You know, and the just stupidest questions, and it never stopped. You know, <laughs> just uh, we we got a lot of people really good, turning the mic off on them and voicing over their whole act. You know, <laughs> that's one of my, one of my bits came from that kind of voiceover. This is, by the way, the website burnunit.tv. Everybody, if you guys want to check that out. Uh, I used to sing along with the there were those magicians that would cover their their quiet moments with music because they didn't they had no other way to make it less boring. So I would sing over their music and be like, I'm a bad magician and I don't know <laughs> what to do while I'm in the audience. So I'm using this copywritten song. And that ended up becoming I ended up doing that to myself in my own act. But yeah. it started just me backstage <laughs> just trying to sing to their I don't know how to do card on ceiling or whatever it was. That's funny. Uh, I remember having the microphone on backstage. You ever say talk in your mic backstage when you didn't know it was on? Oh yeah, in the bathroom, the, the classic bathroom. Yeah, I, I was talking. I was doing a benefit for for to raise money for kids to build a school up in the Himalayas. My, <laughs> my sister, my sister's boss. That was her his cause, and I was doing a benefit for her as a favor. And I'm back there going, why would the hell would you want to build a school in the Himalaya mountains? You know, what, what kind of idiots? <laughs> going on and on about it and then someone ran back and told me your mic is on so i had to turn it into a bit like i had to just go on about how stupid purposely go on about how stupid they were like you know i hope they they die of no no oxygen up there. <laughs> going on and on like it was supposed to be on purpose but it wasn't at first have you had any weird charity shows because i feel like those are always i got booked for a it was a one to raise money uh to, for like a suicide fund and they had just speech after speech of people talking about suicide. I'm like, you can't mention suicide. And they just brought me straight on. And now comedy. Did you not mention suicide? I think I couldn't resist. They were like, don't do it. And yeah, I was see, like, that's the thing. you guys don't laugh, I'm going to kill myself. And then just crickets. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did not, I, how, how about bombing? Have you bombed on stage? What's the worst you bombed on stage? Ooh, uh, there's been some times. I'm trying to think of like the worst one. There was a time where I was I was doing a, a a number prediction and I couldn't figure out where I wanted the prediction to be, and so I thought it would be really funny to sort of parody Copperfield. You know, like my grandfather taught me a trick thing, and so the first part of the bit was my grandfather taught me this trick, but he uses a cell phone, so there'd be no way for him to have taught this to me because he didn't have a cell phone. And then he does all it basically people running around and get a total. And then I unroll my arm, like, by the way, he was in the Holocaust, and the number is tattooed on my arm, oh, and it matches. <laughs> and the audience just stared at me in horror, and I just had to move on. There was just no reaction. That's, that's a funny bit, though, man. Very funny. I think it would have been awesome, but yeah, I think that audience was not prepared. It was a big tonal shift from, like, the other trick that came before it. I did the snowstorm illusion once with my grandmother. I said it was, my grandmother's ashes were in this urn, and, <laughs> and she wanted to... Uh, be released on an audience that was really, really good. And I said, you guys are special. And I took the lid off the urn and had the snowstorm illusion. <laughs> so just blows out. And, and I had the snow machines <laughs> raining down. Like, it looked like ashes raining out over people. And they were just looking at me in shock, you know, co co covering their drinks, thinking that it might be really the ashes. But, um, yeah, I had two people in the audience one time in Valdez, Alaska. And the guy made me go on. And I... <laughs> And one of them no, had to be like early on. You were doing street performing in San Francisco, and then you were in Alaska, right? Doing like yeah, I went club. up and did a, a strip club up in Alaska, and uh, that was probably the best experience I've ever had, as far as my show coming along fast, because they hated me. It was like, you want to see some titties? 
yeah, first here's a magician, that kind of that kind of a thing. Right, you know? Exactly. And it's the last yeah. thing there's like there's three women to begin with. Yeah. So you know, I had to, that's when I learned how to be fast on my feet. I I, I emailed a uh, called a Whitney Brown. You know, a Whitney Brown. Remember? Yeah, I, I was doing a lot of research. He also had a he had a dog act at one point. He right. worked for SNL and he was on the Daily Show. That's right. Yeah, and um, a writer for Saturday Night Live. And, and and but he was my best friend at the time. And I told him I need every heckler book you can find. Just send me them all to Alaska. And I wrote down like a hundred heckler lines and would. First, I read them off a list, and then I memorized them, and then I started making up my own. You know, so you can get really good when you're when you're in dire straits like that. You can get really good fast. But I had two people in Valdez, and I had to, one of them had to be my volunteer, so that left one person in the audience, <laughs> which was his wife. And as soon as the, I pulled him on stage, his steak dinner came, and he wanted. You could tell he wanted to sit down and eat the whole time he was up there, and it was just more so miserable. You know. I've only bombed a few times in my life. I can remember on one hand how many times I bombed. You know. Yeah, there was a time when I was I was opening. I was I was on the road. I was I was emceeing, and it was lobster night. So as soon as I hit the stage, every lobster dropped. So I was competing with cracking of lobster. Everybody's mouth was full. I, I died the death. Did you? Oh, that one that one taught me a lot real fast. And then the guy who was the the headliner, like I remember he t- taking me out for dinner afterwards and like showing me the ropes. It was very nice. Did you see Bill Burr's rant on stage to the audience? I, what you, oh, it was amazing. Oh, now that's going to go down in history, man. Yeah, go down in history. If you if you haven't seen it, whoever's listening, watch Bill Burr. Type in Philadelphia Bill Burr and watch what he does. He's got a fifteen minute spot in this show, and and he goes off from from word one, yelling at them what what assholes they are. He just he hates them because they hecklered all the comics before him, and so he went off on them, and it was it was brilliant, man. Just brilliant. Have you spoke to him about it? Because he, uh, he, he, what, what he was saying was that because that clip went viral, people started heckling him more because they wanted him to keep I breaking down. That. I can see that. Yeah, if you're good at handling hecklers, you get you'll get hecklers. Yeah. Have you had what's like the craziest heckler you've had to deal with? Well, I usually address them twice, and then we'll give the secret password, buy him a drink, which means get him out of here, you know. And uh, but. Uh, I think that one time up in Alaska, when I was getting heckled once, I said, let me, let me put this in a nutshell. You're ugly, your dick is small, and I fucked your mom. <laughs> I think that was the first heckler line I ever wrote that I tried on somebody and it worked. And um, there, I, I, I'm pretty good with hecklers, you know. But women are the drunk, drunks are the worst because there's no shutting them up, you know. Yeah, and also I feel like you have to go. It's they're harder to deal with a little bit because if you go too aggressive, the audience will turn real fast. Yeah, you gotta you gotta have them on your side. You know, um, the worst one is someone in the front row was yelling "boring." <laughs> you know, that's the worst shit. So you have someone yelling "boring." What do I gotta do? I'm pulling my eye out. I'm sticking shit through my tongue. <laughs> boring? Seriously? So he wouldn't stop. And. Um, I took a violin bow. I had a violin in my show, and I put it up against the side of his face, and I said, "Shut the fuck up!" And I whipped him in the face, with the <laughs> and I whipped him hard in the face, and and, and uh, he still didn't quit. He still didn't quit after that. So I had to pick pick him up by the collar physically, and bum rush him through the kitchen and throw him out the back door myself. You know, back then, I had like I said, no bank account. I had nothing to lose. You know, 
And some of the clubs still don't have security. That's it's always weird. Uh, I've been attacked on stage only a couple of times, but there was one time where I was way deep in the Adirondacks and I was getting into my closer and a guy had been sleeping the entire time. So I was like, hey, you know, just doing jokes like Poco, make sure he's alive and maybe it's funnier if he's dead. The really? guy, I was in uh, Gloversville, New York. Deep in the Adirondacks. Yeah. It was Gloversville, New York. They were named after the glove factory. They were a town that made gloves and then China made gloves cheaper. So nobody, they were just very sad and gloveless. There was no factories open anymore. So they had nothing to do but go to an abandoned movie theater where I was doing a comedy show. Uh, and there was an old timey man who was like, we have had so many celebrities back in the day. He was like, he, he, was, he was one of those guys who was like very, he was the town gay. He kept just saying, you know, oh, people find me very interesting, like different words for it without ever saying it. Uh, and he's like, oh yeah, the, one of the munchkins introduced the Wizard of Oz back in the day. We were a hot spot for the cinema. And then he showed me the wall and they had divided the wall. It was men on one wall, like Cary Grant, women. And then the third wall was black people and horses. And I was like, oh no. That's not good. Yeah. And then at the end of my show, this guy literally just woke up, threw a beer bottle at my head and yelled faggot. And I was like, he hasn't even seen my show. Is that, how does he, how does he, is that his wake up call? You don't have to see your show. <laughs> <laughs> People think you're gay because of your voice. That's fair. I mean, I can see Hobson, them mistaken Hobson for, for gay when he's not. And right. Do you do you play it up more but your voice just for that routine? Uh, I play it up. I, 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 I'm not, I don't know if I'm playing it up. It is it is definitely my voice, but I definitely lean in a little bit too. I'll bet you it a little bit. You're probably not even realizing that you're exaggerating it. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, there's you something I'm definitely a magnified version. <laughs> when she really <laughs> left. I don't think so. You think that, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Charles Nelson Riley really did that? I heard you're, you're responsible for his death, right? <laughs> yeah, I have a, a weird way of predicting deaths. And uh, I've done it three times now where I just made something up and said, this person died today, and they haven't. And within two or three days, they, they've died. And that, without even realizing it, without them being sick or news of them being sick. One time, this guy went by in a car on a motorcycle, and I said, he'll be dead in 10 minutes. And then traffic started slowing up. And uh, sure enough, it was because he was dead on the highway. Uh, he hit a car. And then, yeah, I get weird. It's, it's three times it's happened. I stopped doing it because I don't want to. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, you got to use your powers for good. There's a lot of people that you should be predicting. No. no. <laughs> I like to start rumors, though, about people being dead, though. It's very fun. In a, if you're in a nightclub and you start a rumor about someone being dead, it'll take 10 minutes for everybody in that club to think that that person's dead. It's not just the person you tell. It goes around like wildfire. It's kind of fun. Have you ever started the rumor about somebody who you knew was going to show up at that club? Um, someone who I said they were going to show up and didn't. They weren't. Well, no, I mean it just would be fun to have to have everybody think somebody's dead and then that guy walks in without knowing that everybody thinks he's not alive. Oh yeah, someone. Um, I, you know, you know Randy Pitchford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now he's at the house yeah. in Texas and doing a show at his theater in his house, and and uh, there was a guy talking about. Um, how sad it was that I was dead. But this is before I did my show or he knew I was there. He didn't know I was there. He just somehow was talking about me. 
and was talking about how sad that and the person said he's not dead he's right there <laughs> and the guy looked and it looked like he had seen a ghost he ran down this huge staircase and just gave me a hug for i thought you were dead i can't believe you're standing right here and it was weird man that's amazing and you had a whole bit about uh taking the life force out of out of babies i think it was <laughs> yeah yeah sucking their spinal fluid <laughs> yeah it's incredible and and i i guess when you've done three specials for Comedy Central, there's the Lounge Lizards one, the Comedy Central Presents, and then the hour-long one, Wrong on Every Level. Was that, because I know one of the differences between com comedy and magic, magicians tend to keep their material for longer. Some people just do the same act for 30 years. Comedians burn through it a lot faster. How do you how do you balance that out? Well, it seems to people that I do, a lot of comments I read throughout my career was, he does the same bit, I've seen him do the same bit over and over again. Um, because I take something from the audience and I deal with them, they think it's the same bit. So I have that, that's that's one problem I have. It's like the guy when you take out a deck of cards, they're like, I've seen it. And you're like, yeah, How, yeah. what? And a lot of it is repeat because I did so much TV that I did 23 comic strip lives. Wow. Appearances. Now, I had to come up with something, it seemed like every month, something brand new, six minutes. So I disguise, I'm good at disguising old bits and making them new. And, uh, that's another part of the problem, but uh, I've got hours and hours and hours of material. You know, I mean, uh, right now, since I'm not working anymore, all these comics magicians, they, they're flocking to me for material because I gave a couple of them, I gave a couple of them bits of mine that I never, never got around to doing and they love it, you know, so I, I've been just feeding it out, doling it out to these. Are you giving people. them little hits like, a, like it's like a drug deal? Yeah, I'm real good at writing material for other people. I'm really good at sitting and critiquing a show and saying this, this could be funny if you did this, you know, um, I, I, I've done it for Piff. I've done it for a uh, Chris Angel. I've done it for a lot of people who, who wanted comedy in their show. And, and I don't charge for it. I mean, I don't, I, but I have to feel bad charging for anything like that. It's just like, I don't know. Take it, take it. And run. I don't for let them do my friends. Huh? For close friends. For, for friends, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they get bombed with emails now. Every magician. Oh, tell them to stop doing that, please. We got the gardeners out front. We got. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird that it's it's 2020 and we can you know we have these computers in our pocket. They don't know how to make those quieter. Well, yeah. gardeners, you know Vinny Vinny uh, Paul, who was in the audience during my Comedy Central special, he's from the. Listen to this. <laughs> Vinny Paul, his gardeners, he makes them wear sombreros. He pays them extra so they'll wear sombreros. I'm like, Vinny, you can't do that. He goes, they take the money. They take the money and they wear the sombreros. He thinks it's just funny to make them wear sombreros. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, that's amazing. And, yeah. and, and with, with your specials, you uh, – uh, obviously, psychic Tanya as well was an incredible part of that. And how, how is working? How is working that that together? Working with her? Uh, yeah, going from being a solo act to bringing in somebody. Well, I wasn't ever uh, hardly ever a solo act. I had a road manager from the beginning of my career that I used on stage for stuff. They just switched. They were basically girlfriends that I used that took with me on the road. <laughs> so there have been a lot of different assistants, uh, but. Tanya, I never dated, so that's why it lasted so long. Probably, uh, she was brilliant. She was a comic before she was my 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 right hand man, you know. But uh, I watch her during the specials. I never realized how brilliant she is 
until I see it on TV and see how her timing is so good. I mean, she was so good at playing that dumb character that it was amazing. <laughs> I couldn't throw her off. I would try every every night to throw her off, you know, to, to stump her, and she wouldn't be stumped. She had an answer for everything. Or well, one of the things about this show is that we always like to have surprise guests, and I think we need to use a melody to do it. Uh, da 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 da. Da da. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a nice surprise. Hi, everybody. It's Psychic Tanya, a.k.a. Pretty Wiggins. How you doing? Okie dokie. <laughs> Where am I? Uh, you're on Who Books That? It's a, it's an interview show. Do, do you know about coronavirus? Do you know that that's happening? What are you eating? Um, um chocolate. <laughs> I like um Coronas. <laughs> I remember one time someone's cell phone rang in the audience during my show. I went, dun, um, dun, 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 dun. And from backstage, you can hear it. Harrison, that's what you were supposed to be doing anyway. Yeah. Oh, wait, hold on. We'll do it again. From the top. That's what you heard from backstage. <laughs> you know, the sad thing was, I was fucking practicing it before this started because I, all I wrote in my notes was, doot, 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 doot. And I was like, oh, shit, I, that doesn't help me at all. You might as well just gone twinkle, twinkle, star. <laughs> There's a few jokes that we had. I, I still love doing it. And, uh, one of them was, what's worse than finding a worm in your apple? Getting raped. <laughs> I like, yeah, I guess. We don't call it rape. We call it surprise sex. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that definitely is one of those jokes that probably is less acceptable now. Like in terms of like PC stuff, people like give you shit for that. Nowadays it would be like like say say the line uh like what's worse than finding a worm up and that'd be like hashtag me too getting raped. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite one of those, I, I an Uber driver asked me what I, I was coming from a gig and he I was like, Oh yeah, I'm a comedian, which is the biggest mistake. And he's like, Ooh, tell me a joke. And so I said, "What? Uh, how do you make a plumber cry? Said, Rape and murder his family, <laughs> and then silence. Just silence." I love that joke, man. Love, you can't tell a joke to save her life, Harrison. I mean, as a comedian, you know how to tell jokes. She she, she gets the punchline first, always ruins the whole rest of the joke. You know, and she, it's amazing to me that she can't tell a joke for real. I know I, the, the word, I I get fumbled. I feel like I'm dyslexic when it comes to telling them. And but you I, always tell the same bad joke over and over again. And use don't you hate people that use accents when they tell jokes? Oh I just skip the Irish accent. You don't need it. <laughs> you want to hear my joke, Harris? No, no. <laughs> I'm kind of curious, to be honest. No, you don't want to hear that joke. It wasn't funny. Was going to shut down this live stream if that was going to happen. No, it's really funny. You got a green screen behind you. What are you supposed to? <laughs> green screen of a green screen. Well, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, here's a picture of a, a famous bit. I know there was uh, initially when when you pitched this bit, the Blue Man Group. Was there? Uh, th th this wasn't a bit that you guys agreed on at the beginning. No, she, she didn't want to do it, and. Uh, she took a staple, a staple gun in her eye. Penny, your microphone's on. You got to turn the volume down. It is. Yeah, I can hear volume feedback. 
about that? Yeah, if you have headphones, I can help too. It wasn't until, until you came into the picture that I heard her, the echo. Oh, no. Okay, well, anyway, she, is it me? It's, it's definitely Penny. All right, so she didn't want to do the Blue Man Group, and, and she, it was written by her replacement. She took a staple in her life. And, you know, I used to staple cards over her eyes, and they were just stuck under with tape. But somebody put real staples in the staple gun the night, one night. And I stapled both cards over her eyes for real. And one of them hit her in the eyeball and deflated her eye. And uh, she ran off stage screaming. And I went, shit. I knew exactly what had happened. And I checked the staple gun no staples. Uh, one of the stagehands, you know. He thought, a, he thought it was a real staple gun for the for the backstage. So that he yeah. oh god, so he thought he was trying to be helpful. Yeah. So she came back out after a few minutes and did the whole rest of the show. So I figured out she's okay. But afterwards, I saw her eyeball was messed up, and she had to go rest to the hospital. She was out of the show for two years, two months. Uh, we're still <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I was out for three weeks. Two two weeks, and, and then the other girl. <laughs> she, and, Wrote that bit, the Blue Man Group bit, and it was great. It killed, and uh, Penny doesn't like to. Do, she doesn't like to do anything racy. Her character is a stripper, but she won't. She doesn't like to have anything like ping pong balls mentioned or. Be called a whore. She doesn't like to be called a whore. I know. And then, what was your favorite joke that you used to tell me? You used to say, um, uh, "What was it? Come dumpster or something like that." Yes. <laughs> Call you a dumpster. I like how you describe uh, jokes the way my Jewish grandmother used to do it, where she would start with the punchline. She go, "Did you hear the one about he had a hat?" And then she would do the whole joke, and that you, you realize very quickly that was the punchline. Exactly. That's that's what she does. The, be, the best one, my favorite one, was the one where um, she saw I I had a car accident, and then he's like, "Well, what is yeah, it? what happened? Touch my finger." No, you swerved to avoid a pine tree. I swerved to avoid a pine tree. <laughs> and then there was, you saw a pine tree and you swerved. And another, one, and another one, I just kept coming, coming, coming. And I said, that was the air pressure hanging from your rear view mirror. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, she and said, then I broke. Where, where'd you get hurt? I got hurt there, ow, there, ow, and there, ow. <laughs> Try my shoulder. Ow! You broke your finger. You really. <laughs> <laughs> kind of funnier live, maybe. I don't know. But um, anyway, I like. And were you guys? Did you guys always average with each other when you were on stage, or was that something that came over time as you guys got more comfortable? Mm -hmm. Oh no, that character when we started was nothing like the character we made at the end. Uh, but she, we sat down when when we first met and we wrote. For a stupid character, you know, and but we didn't know how stupid it could get. Until I, until I knew. Did until you ever go too stupid? Was there ever a breaking point? Off stage, you got too mean or she got too stupid. Off stage, it was. How dare you? <laughs> oh, no. Sometimes the lines blur between Penny and Tanya. Sometimes she asked me if there's any hurricanes. Why aren't there hurricanes in Las Vegas? And that wasn't your character. <laughs> Her excuse was always she went to a small school in the Bahamas. That's why. <laughs> and now, now Penny does a, a mean Carol Baskins. I hear. 
great. She's great. She's great. When I saw Penny, when I saw her do her show or one man show, Penny, your microphone is driving me nuts. Really yeah, yeah. Is there any way to put a, a headphones in? Uh, yeah, I have Bluetooth headphones. Would that work? Yeah, yeah we're great. turn the volume down. All right, hold on. Here. Well, she can hear it's here. Is that better? Yes. Yeah, much better. Okay. All right, there you go. It was you. Apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry this offended you. You know, all the years that we worked together, we never got, we only got in two fights the whole. Yep, two 13 fights. Years, 13 years, that was 14 years that we worked together. Two fights, and, and both times they were doozies, man. <laughs> I remember. They were like saved up. Everything was saved up for these two yeah. fights. <laughs> I remember her following me to the elevator. We're yelling and screaming at each other, and I didn't want any part of it. So I got on the elevator, and uh, she went to get on the elevator with me. And I went, no, you're not continuing by I'm done. <laughs> so I went to get on, and I pushed her chest real hard. And she went backwards and hit the wall and slid down the wall. Oh, and the last thing I heard was, I'm calling the police. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, perfect that was, timing, though. Yeah, but uh, Did you yeah. You ever play pranks on each other during the act? Oh yeah, yeah. There's one on YouTube. One time, one time we had uh, ten psychic Tanyas run around screaming. Remember yeah. that, John? Yeah, we had the two, the opening act, his girlfriend, uh, my girl, my girlfriend, Anastasia. Yeah, Bruce Block. Two other people. Yeah, there was, I mean, the and I had enough dresses. dresses. I had enough dresses for everybody, and yeah. and wig, spare wigs. So everybody yeah. dressed up, and then and it would run around. And Jonathan's okay. So. Right across the stage, screaming, and I, she did that, and I went cool. And then another, <laughs> then it came again, and I'm like, there's no way she could have got around that fast. Wing <laughs> backstage to the other wing, and then another one came, and then another one came, and it just kept. Over and over and over, really fast, man. And I was like freaking out, like oh. <laughs> one of them with Jonathan Pendragon. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that was so funny. Yeah. It's on YouTube. Yeah, that's on YouTube. Oh, that's amazing. Let me promote uh, Penny's uh, social media as well. Uh, if you want to follow her on Instagram uh, or Twitter uh, or TikTok, actually, we have uh, at Penny Wiggins Comedy on Instagram and TikTok, where all the kids are now. Yeah, I've started to do TikTok videos. And what's amazing is you can be so creative doing it. Yeah. It, it feels like there's always a new social media thing coming along. It always feels like, oh, God, there's another. I have to make videos for another thing. Yeah, Penny needs to find some work out because she, Chris, Chris Angel hired her when, when I was, he loved the character so much that he hired her for how many years, Penny? Uh, four, four years. So she worked for me for 13, 14 years, and Chris for four years and now now she needs another show to jump into because that's <laughs> character, you know do you need an assistant harrison i would i, I would take it a heartbeat that sounds fantastic <laughs> i'm sure you come up with something as long as you're able to dodge a beer bottle i think it'll be there fine. are no other, there are no other benefits other than her character let me just tell you that <laughs> no she has a green screen that's always useful yeah you know at first i wanted penny to date me that's that was the whole gist of the plan, but she wanted nothing to do with me. So uh, <laughs> it turned into a business relationship that worked. I, I remember giving a best man speech uh, to somebody and said, uh, "They, you know, he started out as uh, her assistant, or as, uh, sorry, this is his uh, girlfriend, or as they call him, the business his assistant." <laughs> Every magician has an assistant that they date. You know, they, 
people are, I don't mix business with pleasure. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> That's the only thing to do is mix business with pleasure. <laughs> and Penny, before you go, is there any uh, any other fun stories like to share about, uh, uh, I mean, you guys did the show together for so long and any any crazy memories that stand out? Um, what? Crazy memories, uh, Jonathan, what else? What else we had? We've had so many fun adventures, you know. Jonathan does a funny thing where he pays people to do things. Like he paid our one of our assistants to go down an alley and sleep in a, in a dirty old sleeping bag and give him like a hundred dollars and said, yeah, "Go and, if you sleep in that sleeping bag, I'll give you a hundred <laughs> You can run to the top of the sand dune uh, barefoot. I'll give you a hundred dollars. <laughs> And Joe got now, now your friend has bed bugs and crabs. Oh no, he burnt the bottom of his feet. He couldn't go any farther than halfway, and he was stuck there with blisters on his feet. And he was that was the funniest thing. For the most part, they all took the money and they all did the the thing. Yeah, but, but yeah. he but Joel was like a sucker for anything. He would Joel would do anything. Jonathan, one time he made him throw tomatoes. He went in a store and then he threw tomatoes on and the he window. Throw all these tomatoes against the wall. <laughs> Here's a hundred dollars. I want you to pop all, the, pop all the mylar balloons at the cash registers. <laughs> and no matter what, that was so fun. That was a funny. That was a funny time. We, we went to Russia. That was that was an experience. Me and Penny, uh, we got. I got fired. Fired twice. <laughs> By Jonathan or the Russians? Oh, uh, they didn't like our show at all. They lied to us. What? They, they didn't like an English-speaking comedy act. We went to yeah, we went to Moscow for one night for to do a private show for an industrialist. That's what they told us. Oh, and then no. the head of the Russian mafia, and they didn't know English like they said they did. So me and Tanya bombed so bad. Oh, bad. <laughs> they wanted then, they wanted their money back, and they were intent on getting it, and they are already sent it ahead of time. You know, we make sure we got our money ahead of time, and I wouldn't give it back to them. So we. We were so scared. They wanted they wanted <laughs> us to come to his house after the show to do another show. And we we're like, we're not falling for that, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so we hid in the hotel room till the next morning and got on the plane. But we were fully expecting to be flanked by cars. I know, way. I know. And they so but it's like, how do you do Jonathan's like, sir, you got something right there? And then you hear interpreter interpreter. Yes. <laughs> that really slows down your, your timing. Yeah, exactly. And we had to wait. So we had to wait every time we said any punchline, which is every 30 seconds, there was like, <laughs> and it was like, oh, it was miserable. It was probably the most miserable gig that we've ever done. And then we did some corporate shows for really that were fun. Like it brought us to, the guy that owns uh, McLaren Racing. Uh, we flew from France to Monte Carlo in a helicopter and got the, giant sweet and moved. that was so fun they spoiled us so bad and we, it was like uh, 80, 80 grand cash for a 20 minute show yeah. you know man oh man it was and you're a car guy so being a, i'm sure if they let you play with the cars that's a bonus yeah man i wanted to get a mclaren from we were in italy and um we went to south of france yeah and I went, it was all, all over the place and then just, it was fabulous and australia and, down under yeah. work better in france or were they just they mostly speak English? So it was, English was all, it was all English. Very rich. Like everyone, every single person was a multimillionaire yeah. that was there. It yeah. was amazing. Ugh. Forty-five years doing doing great. Two gigs, maybe three gigs bad out of forty-five years of doing comedy. 
That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good stretch. That's blessed. I did Illusionist Kazakhstan, and I had a I had a clown. They were, they tried to find somebody who knew comedy in Kazakhstan, and so they found me a clown, a third generation clown who translated my my stand up into Russian. And one of the bits was that I was paying him in soap because I would throw out shampoos to the audience, and then I would force him to hug me. I would make him translate. Hi, this is the Russian translator speaking, and I'm just <laughs> talking to you. This is just me, just talking to you. And all I want to do is give the comedian from America a hug. And then I would turn to him and force him to give me a hug. <laughs> I'd pay him off in shampoos and, and soaps. And then afterwards, I would go backstage and I would see him put the soaps in his backpack. And it turns out he was not being paid. So he really, I really was paying him in shampoo <laughs> and soaps. He was keeping every <laughs> single one of the games before you, you got it for free at the hotels. What a deal. Wait, Jonathan, tell about a Wayne Newton gig that we did. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was one. That was the best. So this... It was a Vegas night there in Chicago. Marshall Fields Department Store had a, a Vegas night, and they brought acts from Vegas to Chicago, Circus Soleil, myself, Wayne Newton, to represent Vegas and do this show for cancer victims. So I was downstairs in the basement of the theater playing Nintendo, not paying attention to what was going on upstairs during the show. And what was going on was this lady who had cancer had her head shaved. Her dream was to get a kiss and a rose from Wayne Newton. And that was going on while I was playing, not paying attention. So I get on stage and was introduced. My first line, they had Elvis Presley waiters everywhere. And my first line is, does everybody here look like Elvis Presley or do I have a brain tumor? <laughs> but no that was, that no was our I'm like, gee, that's an old joke. That's a pretty tried and true formula. Why didn't anyone laugh at that? <laughs> and that was our rehearsal. That was our rehearsal. For yeah, and so they asked us if we would mind if they didn't use us for the show or that they were running overtime. That's what they, <laughs> the excuse they gave us was that. But my manager told me later that it was because of that, of that line. And they paid me anyway. They paid us for two nights. And uh, we didn't have to show up for either gig. So <laughs> I, I used to do a thing in college. We would my college roommate did a thing called Evening with Champions. And so it was raising money for for can, for kids with cancer. And they'd have figure skaters come in and we'd do like a magic show during the day for the kids. And we I guess that one of the guys didn't realize what we were booking it for. And he screwed up making a balloon animal. And he goes, Oh, it's fine. It's just a dog with a tumor. And they looked down at an audience of kids with tumors. And we were like, next, next, left. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. I heard there was a trapeze act that used to swing over the audience and grab somebody under their arms and put them on stage. And that's who he would use for his show. And he would, well, he grabbed someone out of a wheelchair and swung and put them on stage and they, they collapsed down onto the ground. I don't know if that's true or not, but it sure is a good, good story. If it is. Have you ever, I, I've noticed that when, when there are people with disabilities in the audience that most people shy away from using them but have you found that, because I find that you, if you include them, like if you don't include them afterwards, they're like, how come you don't make fun of me? Like I'm, I'm a normal person like everybody else. Well, I had Penny up there with me. So oh, you went mute for a second, Jonathan. Your volume is off. Your, your microphone went off. Your volume. Oh no, we lost him for a second. It's Look, just I'm us, back. Harrison. It's just you and me now. We could, we could practice the Camtown races. So I guess I'm coming to New York huh, to be your assistant. Perfect. Uh, let's see if I can get Jonathan back. There we go. Uh, it's just the, uh, you, there's, if you go to cam Mike, or sorry, uh, the bottom one thing says mute, unmute. There you uh, go. Uh, and that's so that, 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 the most important thing of all. 
Oh, did and you? That's miss the that? biggest lesson of life. Oh, okay. Gotcha. The secret to comedy and magic. <laughs> <laughs> I always do that when it's sometimes like a waiter walks up to the table and interrupts him. Okay, I'll tell you about my cancer later. I guess the waiter wants to take our order. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you're, I what think were you saying? You were telling us before about oh oh how. Uh, Psychic Tanya would usually address people with disabilities in the crowd. No, I would say I didn't need to address anyone with disabilities because I had her there to address. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> oh. I had a guy who was wearing a hoodie looking like Eminem in a wheelchair, and I and I was very proud of myself. For, as soon as I got on stage, I go, oh, look, it's a guy. Uh, uh, it's the guy from 8 Mile, but only downhill. <gasps> oh, my he God. He loved it. He thanked me. He really wheeled up to me afterwards. I was just like, thank you so See, much. You don't make fun of me. I sat in the front row because I want people to address me. You have a character <laughs> I was talking about. It's a likable character so you can get away with more shit. That's what I'm talking about. You you can do the same thing I was doing, you know. And and my, and, hammer, my, hammer, my, my camera's got that personality where he can get away with all kinds oh, of shit. Oh, yeah. My camera's the best. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This it's, She got broken off. I don't know how that happened. Um, <laughs> that was so weird. There was an interruption in your feed. My grammar, he, he he crosses the line sometimes. I saw him tell the fat lady, "Come waddle over here and help me with this." <laughs> I would never say that to anyone, man. No, yeah, he he's 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 brutal sometimes, but he's great. I really. Awesome. Somebody, by the way, mentioned the green background. Said, "What country is Penny representing?" Russia, thank you for coming to my show, yeah? Oh, this is for my TikTok. It's for my, I just have it where, up for my TikTok. Where are the comments? Are they supposed to be coming up on the screen? I saw all, Oh, yeah, no, I, I've been putting them up as, as they come up. Um, we can get, uh, let's get to the questions and the comments in a second. Okay. Um, Penny, let's plug you one more time. Uh, we got Penny Wiggins Comedy on Instagram and TikTok. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, okay. Love Bye, Jono. I'll see you in New York Love soon. Work on the act. Bye. Love you. Uh, and if you want to follow I Jonathan, it's the Amazing J on Twitter and Instagram, the Amazing Jonathan. Uh, and yeah, there's been uh, a couple of questions. Uh, a lot of people just saying very nice things. Um, a lot of people remember uh, seeing you back in the old Loop Glory days. Kevin Matthews. Kevin Matthews was a DJ back then, and he used to be my op opening act, and he he was really fun to pull pranks on. He, you know, he's would do the Drano out of the mouth, which is. Alka-Seltzer, and I would switch it for salt, and just I would screw with his relentlessly screw with his act. I love screwing with people's act, man. I love to sabotage. <laughs> Kevin was fun to, to screw with. I, I, I in magic. I, I, I teach every year at magic camp. So once a year, I volunteer. We go in for a week. I was a camper. Now I'm a counselor. And one of my best friends decided to do a confabulation type routine, and he's like, "It'll be a letter from home about magic camp, and I'll give you a copy of it." And you'll just fill in what they say, and then we'll have everybody inspect the envelope. And as it passes by you, you'll switch it for the real confab, and it'll go on their way, and then we'll open it, and boom, perfect. You predicted everything. So I took the paper that he gave me, ran and had it photocopied, and wrote penis as the answer for everything. So that he would open up the confab, and it would, all the answers would just be penis, not anything that any of the campers had said. And I, would I was hoping, based on the way he had rehearsed it, that he would see it, crumple it up, and then the real answers were right behind it. So it would just be a gag on him, and then he could keep going. Yeah. He decided to call an audible at the very last minute. So the envelope gets passed. Now we, now there's a, an envelope that's just penis over and over again. Uh, and he goes, you know what? This trick is so clean, I don't even want to touch it. Let's get a camper. And so he points to a kid, 
and, he, and it was a kid who always wore suspenders and very high shorts and spoke like an old man. He was like a delight. He grabs the envelope and he brings it up and Ben goes, oh, I didn't even want to read it. And I'm sitting there like, oh no. I want you to open up the envelope. You, you have all the predictions. He opens it up and the kid just goes like George Takei goes, oh my. <laughs> I'll never forget the look on his face. This poor kid was very confused about why he's just holding a page full of the word penis over and over again. My, and that happened to me with my cap counselor too. <laughs> Only it wasn't written on paper. Oh, no. That's the trauma that makes comedy happen. <laughs> uh, somebody actually wrote, uh, I went from illusions to comedy magic because of Jonathan. Yeah, there's a lot of those out there. And then somebody said, can I air... That guy. <laughs> Michael Aaron said, speaking of penis, can I air five the amazing Jonathan? So there you go. Uh, and John, who was one of the counselors was in the audience at that show with the penis. Um, is was there- that really him? Yeah, yeah. That was one of the guys that was there. And somebody just thank you for coming to the IBM convention in Grand Rapids. Was um, we're here with the amazing Jonathan. We have about 15 minutes uh, or less to go. So if you have a question, please put them in the comments right over there uh, on YouTube, Facebook. There's also on Instagram. Uh, send those comments over and those questions and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try to address as many as we can. Adam just asked, John, what was your favorite magic trick you ever did? Um, the favorite magic trick I ever did. Um, I like knife through arm. That was probably my fa favorite magic trick because of the reactions that it would get. And it opened up a lot of doors for me. You know, I got a lot of people calling me because of that trick. And, and like uh, Steven Seagal what, called me out of the blue. And, and, and uh, Prince loved that trick and wrote me <laughs> about it. I would meet a lot of celebrities who like that knife and I would make them one, you know, and uh, that's probably my favorite trick to do. And Dave Johnson just asked me about, to ask you about the cat story, looking for your cats. Looking for my cats. I don't remember that one. I know you were trying to find your cats. Was That, that was what Dave was asking about. I'm trying to find, I have a cat here. <laughs> or maybe it isn't a cat. What else could it be? Maybe it isn't a cat at all, Harrison. I don't think that it is. I think it could be. Oh, it is a cat. Foam yeah. <laughs> <Faux> magic. Foam <laughs> magic. Oh, dear, dear Johnson, uh, he said, in the neighbor's house, the cat in the neighbor house. Oh, my, oh, ca my cat got locked in the neighbor's house. The neighbors are here like one month out of the year. And my cat got locked in his garage and uh, for days and days and days. And it was like 100 degrees out. And I went around thinking, maybe it got locked in someone's garage. And I went around knocking on everyone's garage door. And sure enough, I heard him meowing in there. And I had to, I couldn't get it, the door open. So I had to break into the house. The alarm went off. And I had to find my way to the garage while the cops are on their way, uh, get in the garage. The door locks behind me. I can't get out of the garage. I'm locked in the car garage with this cat. I can hear the siren. And finally, I figured out how to pull this rope and release the lock on the garage door and got out, got my cat in the Segway and just rode down the street <laughs> on the Segway to my house just as I passed the cops like zzz, like that, man. Yeah, there's been a lot of cops stuff stories in my life. <laughs> I was shooting firework, fireworks off from my warehouse a couple of years ago for Halloween. And uh, not knowing that I'm right in the flight path of the airplanes coming over over my warehouse. Oh my god! And so all these cops show up, and we we're on the roof of the warehouse, 
and I see him coming, and we just hit up there for like an hour, and then, we know you're up there. Come down. And they didn't know we were up there. They were just playing fish with us, you know, playing poker, keeping their poker fan. We didn't. We didn't come down. We stayed up there, scared to death. And so many situations where I'm like, I'm too old to be hiding from the police because I shot fireworks into the flight pad. You know, I stupid shit like that. That's my life. A series of stupid moves that really worked out for me really well. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's a fantastic summary. I, I, I wish we could all have that luck. I think anyone who does what we do has interesting situations. But if you do drugs and do what we do, and you have a really lot of, you have a tons of stories to tell that never would have happened, you know. Just stories up, up the, up the ass, you know. And I've got enough to fill five books. I've lived three lives, Harrison. Three Are you working lives. on a book right now, or do you have a memoir coming out? Yeah, I do. I do. I have a, a book I just finished that I'm gonna put out, and uh, it's got the stories. It's lurid, lurid sex and drug stories from the road. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I figured people want to read that more than a biography. They can watch the auto the documentary for the autobiography stuff, but the, you know. I want to put out a racist joke book, the most racist joke book in the world. And, and <laughs> one that you would be afraid to admit you owned, you know, <laughs> sell it. I was to make a game where you had to, they had horrible jokes printed and the whole game was you had to make your friend, you had to force your friends to read them in weird situations. That would be great. I would love that. I love it. I love incorrect stuff, you know, and uh, I think that that would be wonderful to have a joke book because there's so many great jokes you could never tell anyone but a comedian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So many great jokes. And, and kind of on that, like, because you, you've done Haunted Houses, there's a lot of blood in your show. Do you yeah. think there's some kind of connection between com comedy and horror, the ultimate darkness? Between mine there is, yeah, because I started I started getting um, famous when I started using blood. You know, people would take notice. When I was on the streets in San Francisco and I was doing razor blades, I added a blood capsule and people were just coming, flocking to see this guy chewing razor blades with blood, you know. And back then, that was a big thing. And, and every trick I wrote after that had some kind of blood in it or more. <laughs> it too much. But, um, yeah, I like, I like shocking, shocking stuff. Because to take people from, from that to laughing and get them comfortable, shock them again and make them comfortable, and then shock them again just like a roller coaster. You know, you take that audience on a ride, you know. That's what I like to do. Yeah, you're one of the very few guys I ever seen where you just you you hurt people with laughter. They're, they're yeah, there's stop and it doesn't let up for the entire show. I feel lulls more than most comics feel lulls. If there's a 10 second lull, I don't want that there. I'll put something in, try to keep it continuing. But the tr tr trouble with that is you start out gangbusters and then they get tired halfway through the show. You know they're they're hurting from, and then you gotta it kind of peters out a little bit if you're not pacing yourself right. It's a matter of rearranging things, playing with the blocks. Yeah, and I guess the, the, I don't. Usually, I, the last question I ask is that uh, I have young magicians watching who are looking for advice. I hope I, there was a lot, enough parental advisories that there might not be that many young magicians who are still watching. Oh, I got no advice for you, kid. Not at all. Man. <laughs> but if you had advice to any uh, comedians or magicians who are watching, what, what would you tell them? I wouldn't, because I, I just watch my career and look at everything I've done and do the opposite. <laughs> you have a chance of a chance in hell if you do that. I, there's no way I should have made it the way how big I made it. There's no way I should have. The odds were all against it, you know. I just uh, there's enough goofy people out there. I hit a I hit a, a vein, you know. I hit a a, a, t a target group that had the same sense of humor and nobody else was giving it to them. So 
silly, goofy stuff, you know? Oh, no, I think I think you, you did something very unique and special. And I think I don't think it's an accident that you became you reached a legendary status that you did. Well, thank you, Harrison. Uh, and I, I, I've heard of great things about you. And I saw your show and I wasn't wasn't disappointed, you know, but I, the word on the street is Harrison Greenbaum. So. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for, for doing this. People are continuing. Here we go. You are a treasure. Um, that was great. Uh, People are already offering to buy the joke book. I don't have it anymore. It's gone. It's sold out. I don't sell any. Oh, no, I think they were talking about the one that you just pitched, the uh, extraordinarily oh. racist joke book. Yeah. Oh, that joke book. Yeah, everybody would have that secretly. Yeah, exactly. You should make it a very innocuous cover. It should be like a children's yeah. book on the outside. Hidden with your dad's porno magazines. But uh, oh, top, mention the, the documentaries. If you want to see documentaries, there's two of them you mentioned. And one of them is on YouTube. Uh, it's called Always Amazing. Yeah, we have uh, always amazing. Uh, we and uh, always amazing. The true story of the life and death return of amazing Jonathan Burn on YouTube and the amazing Jonathan documentary on Hulu. Yeah, and um, you can follow on Twitter at the amazing J, uh, Instagram the amazing Jonathan. Uh, let's try this one more time. Uh, do 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 do. Do da do da. All right, we did it. That's Penny You can follow her on Instagram and TikTok. <laughs> comedy, uh, appearing everywhere because she's a green screen. She can't be anywhere. <laughs> oh, sorry. You're back. I'm on a boat. <laughs> and a huge thanks to Anastasia, by the way. Uh, she's in the background. Can come here and say hi to my. Oh, I'm fine. I want I no introduce... makeup on, okay, no bra. No makeup, no bra. <laughs> well, I have a great picture of her uh, from your wedding that we could share uh, in these final moments. This is pretty great. Uh, yeah. Classic. Yeah. That With was Gallagher fun. in the background. Gallagher married us. He's the priest. That's amazing. Yeah. And the wedding's did on. He smash a watermelon. Uh, he did, filled with red paint, into my wedding dress. <laughs> After the fact. We had Carrot Top crawl from underneath her wedding dress. Oh, that's unbelievable! And this is—I found a picture of the uh, the wedding cake as well. Oh, the cake, yeah, with blood all over it. The cake has blood dripping, red blood all over it. It was a fun wedding. It was really fun. It was much more fun than the marriage. Hey. Uh, okay. <laughs> we got a lot of Anastasia is great um, uh, all throughout the comments. Uh, Gallagher dot 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 hero from uh, David, who looks very much like a magician. Uh, China Pearl saying hi, Anastasia. Um, but uh, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on. I can't tell you, uh, I, I was talking to Penny earlier and she asked me who my favorite magician was. And I, I was like, amazing, Jonathan. I, I, I would not be doing what I'm doing if- 10, episode 10. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Episode ten, your favorite magician. <laughs> You're a hard get. I, I uh, yeah, real hard. <laughs> you can do this show as many times as you'd like. You have an open invitation. Thanks, pal. Thank you so much for doing it. Stay well, stay healthy, and hopefully, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Mwah. Bye. Amazing, Jonathan. Everybody, uh, un unbelievable. Um, thank you guys so much for watching. We really, really appreciate it. This show is every Monday and Wednesday at seven p.m. Eastern Standard Time or 4 p.m. PDT. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Harrison Comedy. You can also join the IBM, the, uh, the International Brotherhood of Magicians, magician.org slash join the IBM slash join. Uh, this has been incredible. You can also download this episode as a podcast. We are now on iTunes and Apple Music. You can download it. Uh, you just go to whobooksthat.com for more info or just type in Who Books That with Harrison Greenbaum into Apple Music or iTunes and it'll come up and you can subscribe. And please leave a five-star review if you do. That's very much appreciated. But thank you guys so much for watching.
Who books that? What an incredible thing. Uh, this is uh, a, a highlight of my life, um, uh, one of my heroes. So this is uh, just incredible. So thank you so much to the amazing, amazing Jonathan. Uh, we'll see you here on Wednesday. Thanks so much for watching, everybody. See you real soon.